Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 21. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 14. We're not ultimately skipping uh, chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. That's kind of gives us the purpose of the book of John. It's a very important verse. We'll be coming back and covering that next week uh, in our Christmas service. So just to let you know that uh, that's what's going on here. Uh, as we move on to, to chapter 21. Um, we've been looking at uh, just some, what John does in the last couple of chapters of his gospel is, just gives us these uh, post-resurrection appearances of Christ to uh, the people he loved, the people he had been ministering to and with. And we see here this morning Jesus' gift to the fishermen. Jesus' gift to the fishermen. Starting in verse 1, it says this, After this, Jesus revealed Himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and He revealed Himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of His disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put, out, put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, a hundred and fifty three of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Uh, this is actually a, a fairly meaningful text for me. Uh, when I was in Bible college, uh, some buddies of mine, we would, at the end of Christmas break, you know, in college you got the big long break, at the end of Christmas break, we would all just kind of descend from wherever we were, hanging with family or back home, wherever we were, we would all descend on Devil's Den State Park up in northern Arkansas. And we would spend usually a few days right before school started back 
camping. Now, looking back, that seems like a ridiculous time to go camping uh, in January in northern Arkansas. Uh, but it was fun. I remember it was cold, but we had a lot of fun. And just uh, guys gathered up from Bible college. It was really cool because we all had that, that you know, that uh, the Bible in common. We love the Bible. And so my friend Andy Johnson, every year on one of the mornings when we would prepare breakfast on the fire, he would actually turn to John chapter 21, this very verse that we're studying. He would read about Jesus preparing breakfast for his disciples. And so it's kind of been my thing whenever I'm camping or uh, whenever I find myself many times around a campfire is to open to John chapter 21 and, and read this account of Jesus around the fire with his disciples having prepared them breakfast. There's, there's a lot going on here. Uh, there's, and, and so what I want us to do, it's kind of different, is just kind of soak and marinate in the narrative for a little while and just walk through and see all the things that happen. And then we'll come back at the end and draw uh, the application for our lives. But the main idea I want to look at this morning is Jesus' gift of an intimate breakfast with his disciples displayed his continuing love and provision for them. So let's walk through the narrative. Why fishing? I have to admit, upon deeper study of this text and preparing the sermon, my, my attitude had kind of, has kind of changed. I had always seen this instance as kind of a faithless thing that the disciples were doing. That it was as if they didn't really believe the resurrection, that uh, basically, this is what many of them were doing when they were first called. So it was just, let me just get back to what I was doing when Jesus found me. It's over, right? It's over. Let's just get back to fishing. And so I saw their fishing as a very negative decision that showed very little faith on their part. But there are a couple of things that if you examine in the rest of the Gospels, you, you see that that's probably not the case. First of all, they, they had already seen the resurrected Lord, or at least most of them had. Their faith should have, been, should have been growing, okay, not diminishing. I mean, Thomas is in this group, and we know just from just last week, the last text that we studied, we know that Thomas said, hey, let me feel the scars. And he felt the scars, and his response was, my Lord and my God. So it doesn't make a lot of sense that he would then like abandon all that and just get back to fishing. We also know that this is the Sea of Galilee. They had been told by Jesus before his death that Galilee would be where he goes. Mark 14.28 says, but after, Jesus said, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Not only that, an angel told them at the tomb in Mark 16, 7, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So what it, what it would appear is that the disciples were heading to the area where they knew Jesus was going to be either look for him to find him or for him to find them. They wanted to be near Jesus. But any fisherman 
We have fishermen in the room. I know many of you are fishermen. It's hard to get that out of your blood. And so what it appears to me has happened, let's go hang out around Galilee and wait for the Lord. And they're sitting there and Peter's looking at the boat. He's looking at the nets. And he's like, while we're waiting, while we're waiting, let's do some fishing like old times. I mean, we we still got to eat while we wait on the Lord. We might as well tonight take the boats out. See if we can't catch some fish. So at worst, maybe, just maybe there was a, a loss of focus for them. But more than likely, they're just killing the time until Jesus makes His appearance to them as had been promised. Now, if you're familiar, very familiar with the Gospels, this story may feel kind of deja vu-like, right? Because this sounds familiar because this is not the only instance of Jesus helping His disciples catch some fish. Luke 5 tells us of a miraculous catch of fish at the beginning of the disciples' ministry. Uh, Jesus is teaching and, and the crowd is so thick on the shore that He's having trouble. And so He borrows Peter's boat. Uh, and he, he pushes himself, they push Jesus out so he can kind of be out in the water to teach the multitude that's back on shore. And after he's done teaching, then he tells Peter and the guys, he says, hey, why don't you, you take the boat out a little deeper and cast the nets? And so that's exactly what they do. We're going to listen to this guy. So they, they cast the nets. And just like in this instance, when they pull the nets in, there's so, so many fish that the nets that are, uh, that are holding the fish begin to break. They begin to, to lose some of the fish because there's so many of them. And this causes Peter, in his confession, to say, to, to hit his knees and go, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And then Jesus says to him, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men it's in that moment that that peter becomes a, a true follower that he begins to see that this is no ordinary man he says depart from me and and what jesus says hey from now on you're not going to be a fisherman of fish you're going to be a fisherman of men so this this changes everything for for peter and many of the disciples as they go from fishermen of fish to fishermen of men. So we see how things have kind of come full circle. No doubt that this is a deja vu moment for the disciples. Like when this happens, they know, they know who that is on the beach. This is very, very familiar. It's happened once and it was with our Lord. And so that's when they realized that this was Jesus, the resurrected Lord that was over on the beach telling them giving them fishing advice and there's something both beautiful and humorous about peter's response when he realizes that the person on the beach is his lord it says in verse 7 when simon peter heard that it was the lord he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea 
I mean, Peter does the most Peter thing you could possibly imagine. He's not worried about helping with the fish. He's not worried about, he doesn't want to wait the few minutes it would take. They're only a, a football field away from Jesus. He's not, he doesn't want to wait. He wants to dive in. He reminds me of a 13-year-old boy. Okay, I, I was a youth pastor like Josh for 11 years, and now I have my own 13-year-old boy. Their enthusiasm sometimes is bigger than their mind and, and thinking through things. And so Peter is like a 13-year-old boy that all he can think about Despite the fact that most recently he's let this man down. He's let his Lord down. And yet he dives in. And he can't wait to see his Lord and be with him. Now he does think about his clothing. It seems a little odd to us. I mean, when we think about biblical robes, as if you're going swimming, why would you put a robe on? Doesn't, doesn't seem very conducive to swimming. And there's a couple theories as to, to what was happening here. Um, many scholars say he was in his birthday suit, or very near it. He was out there in the dark, working on a ship, working with the nets, and just no reason for a bunch of robes. And so Peter at least thought through, okay, being on the shore in my birthday suit is a lot different than being out here in a boat. And so he thought, I need to go ahead and, and make sure I have dress on when I get on shore. But probably what is actually happening here is this dressing is more of uh, a cinching up. The, the same word used here is the same word used when Jesus is preparing to wash their feet. It's more of a cinching up of the robe, of, of getting it ready to swim. And so more than likely he's just cinching things up to get ready for the swim ahead. But the point here is that Peter showed great enthusiasm in this moment. He might have denied knowing his Lord in that, in that moment of weakness, but his heart, his heart remains in love with his Lord. Even if he still sees the relationship is strained, he is willing to dive in to try to make that relationship right again. So we see when they get on shore that Jesus has prepared breakfast for them. This is one of those stories that, that we really need to soak our minds in the details, I think. When they get to the shore, they find He's prepared a wonderful meal for them. There's just something about breakfast. Amen? Amen? There's something about breakfast. Especially if you've been out fishing all night. Think about, think about the preparation that went into this. Meanwhile, Jesus has shown some magic, some appearing in the locked rooms and things like that. I mean, I, mean, I guess he could have just made breakfast appear. But I, just, I, feel like, I feel like he prepared this breakfast. I feel like he, I think he prepped. I think he did the work here. Have you ever woke up early to fix your family or, or one of your family breakfast for a special occasion, maybe even breakfast in bed? And, and man, it's, it's just exciting to be in that kitchen. You're trying to be quiet because you don't want to wake them up because the worst thing is if you're fixing breakfast for a special occasion, they walk in 
like right in the middle of it, and it's like, oh, I'm fixing breakfast. No, you want to have it all prepared. You want to have it ready to show your great love for your family member in the occasion. So this is how I imagined it with Jesus. There Jesus stirs on the shore, likely listening to his men out on the boat, probably laughing at jokes, casting nets, and just thinking about all they had been through together and how much he loved them. Gathering wood, he starts a fire. Then he has to, has to patiently wait for the fire to burn down to, to charcoal so he can cook well. Then he places the bread, which I imagine are biscuits. It's probably not true, but I imagine it is biscuits. And then he takes some fish and, and he cooks the fish. Not a big breakfast fish guy, but this is their world. Again, I imagine a pot of coffee. Not true, but that's how I imagine it. Good old pot of strong coffee. And when breakfast is ready, he calls out the disciples and he tells them, hey, cast, cast your net on the other side. It's breakfast time. What better way to get them in than to let them catch all the fish they could possibly catch? It's time for breakfast with their Lord. Can you imagine breakfast with the newly resurrected Lord? Can you imagine it? It turned into a feast because Jesus asked them to bring in the fish that they had caught. And so he got it going with a, probably a few fish. And he said, hey, but that's not enough. We're going we're gonna to enjoy ourselves. We're going to eat till we're stuffed. And then we actually have the precise number of fish, 153 fish. Now, there has been so much done concerning that number. Trying to figure out what does that number mean? What does that number mean? Like what is what multiplies by this and what does this represent? And just, just all kinds of theories as to why the number 153. I know why the number 153, because I'm from South Arkansas. And when you catch a mess of fish, okay, remember the first the first miraculous catch of fish, the nets broke. They lost some. So this is likely the biggest catch of fish they've ever caught. They're gonna count them. Like you count the points on the deer and you count the fish when you think this is as much of a, as I've ever caught. You're going to remember that number because you're going to want to have it to go brag to your friends about. This was a great moment for them. Biggest catch of fish ever. What a day. What a night. Best fishing trip ever, and then breakfast with your resurrected Lord that you love and you worship. There's something about sitting around a fire with people that you love. We did this at Thanksgiving. My, my parents just always find a way just to bring us together as a family. And, and, and this year, it was a nice, cool day and, and built a bonfire. And just to sit around, to share stories as a family. Just something about a fire to bring people together and share community with the ones you love. And Jesus loved these men. He loved these men. And so he had created this one last moment with them before he was taken up to be with his, Lord, with his Father.
So now I want us to walk through and just pull some application out of this wonderful story. First thing I want us to notice is that Jesus demonstrated that success is found in his presence and obedience to him. It had been a bad fishing trip. They had fished all night. They had nothing to show for it. It was going, breakfast was not going to be great. Because they hadn't caught anything. It's only when Jesus shows up in his, in his presence, he tells them what to do, and they obey him, that success comes. Jesus, when he first called his, this, these fishermen at the original miraculous catch of fish, he told them, follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. If you, look, uh, if you really uh, examine this last chapter of John, it's really about the work of the church, whether it's the catching of fish, catching of men, uh, to sh the shepherding of men, as we'll see when he talks to Peter in a, in a little bit. It's about the work of the church. And this final sign in John points to the fact that if Jesus is with us, and if we obey His words, there will be great success in our efforts. Notice in the, in the difference in the nets. Okay? In the first miraculous catch of fish, the net begins to break. They lose some of them, likely. But in this miraculous catch of fish, it, it goes out of its way to say to us, the net does not break. It doesn't break. And, and some people believe that there's a symbolism here that now that the work of Christ is done, now that He has done His work on the cross and dying for our sins, now that He has resurrected, showing His victory over death, that now in the Gospel we have, we have something that will not fail. It will not fail. It will bring men and women into the kingdom and it will not break. It is... The powerful gospel. Now that may be pushing the symbolism too, too far, but I don't think we can argue with the truth of that. That the gospel, that now that the work of Christ was coming to a close, he, he, had, he had died on the cross and, and, and was resurrected, that he has left us with the tool of the gospel, which is our net, and it's a net that will not fail us. So folks, we can try lots of different things to bring people into the kingdom, but know that the gospel is the only tool, is the only tool that will not fail to bring people into the kingdom. Jesus has entrusted us with an unfailing net in the gospel. He goes with us in our, uh, on our mission. He brings people into our lives for our mission. And in the gospel, he gives us the perfect tool for mission. Let us be, as a church, fishers of men and women to bring them into the kingdom. We cannot fail. Church, we cannot fail if we use the tool of the gospel, the truth of Christ and His coming. Jesus also demonstrated His desire and His openness to reconciliation. Now, we're going to expand on this in a couple weeks more. But, but a big part of bringing this, this scene together 
was to talk to Peter about his betrayal. And to, for Peter to be, spoiler alert, but for P Peter to be fully reinstated. So a big part, so, so how wonderful is this, that, that, that Peter has let Jesus down. In his greatest moment of suffering, Peter said, I do not know that man. Jesus has been let down by Peter. Imagine what it felt like to, to look to the friend that had always said he would be there and for him not to be there. For him to say, I don't know this guy. It was a great betrayal. And this is the place where many relationships come to die. How many of you have lost relationships because of an act of betrayal? Because they said something that you thought they would never say. Or you said something that you thought you would never say and they knew and they heard. That's where relationships come to die. But not for Peter and not for Jesus. Jesus made breakfast for Peter and he waited, he awaited the conversation that would reinstate Peter as the great leader that Jesus knew that he would be. And Peter, to his credit, does not run and hide. As Adam and Eve did in their shame, they went and they hid. Not Peter. Peter jumped in the water because he couldn't wait to be, to be there with his Lord and to figure that whole betrayal out and to, to, to be back in good standing with his Lord. He couldn't wait. Though he let Jesus down, he knew that Jesus was the only one that could give him the forgiveness he so desperately wanted and needed. Christian, let me ask you this. Where is your heart when you have been let down by another? Do you avoid them? Do you lay in the darkness cursing them? Not being able to comprehend why they said what they said. Many of you have marriages like that. Where you just lay there and hate each other. Or do you fix them breakfast and long for and look for and create the opportunity for reconciliation? Jesus set for us a great example here that when someone lets you down, it shouldn't be the end. But you should create an opportunity to reconcile. Christian, when you let others down, do you practice avoidance? Especially when you let God down, do you, do you hide in your shame, not wanting to pray or read your Bible or, or be confronted by your failure? I would encourage you, like Peter, to dive in and go to Christ. He already knows what you have done, and He stands ready to forgive you if you would only repent. If you have been hurt or have hurt others, 
Seek reconciliation and seek it now. Third, Jesus demonstrated that intimacy and familiarity familiarity do not equal levity. Okay, so what do I mean by all that? Notice the, the behavior of the disciples. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask Him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. This is kind of an odd response, is it not? It insinuates there was a healthy fear in the hearts of the disciples. They dared not ask Him, who are you? They knew that it was the Lord. They knew the answer to the question, who He was. But yet there was a fear in their hearts. They knew that the veil had been lifted, folks. They knew. They knew now. There was no denying who Jesus was. And because of that, there was fear in their heart. This is a man who was dead And now he's walking around fixing us breakfast. And as much as they loved it, there was also just, what are we dealing with here? They dare not ask him who he was because they knew who he was. He was God in the flesh. This is the great dichotomy of our faith. We have breakfast with the God of the universe. We we go boldly go before the throne of the one who could wipe us out of existence. You know your faith has reached another level of maturity when you can boldly enter into the presence of God because of His grace, while at the same time your knees are knocking because you know of His holiness. The babe in the manger will become the conqueror of the world. The one who shed His blood in love will be the one who sheds the blood of others in justice at His second coming. Let us be those that have a casual yet trembling breakfast with the Lord. Let us always be joyful of the grace and the presence of the Lord, but to always remember the holiness. Because we can't really appreciate that holiness until we understand this is something we we know not how to deal with totally. His holiness is something altogether different than anything we know. And lastly, Jesus demonstrated His deep desire to be with and to provide for His disciples. We see in this simple post-resurrection act of love an invitation to breakfast. We see the great nature of Christ as Emmanuel. This time of year, that's what we're thinking about, right? God with us. And this is Jesus coming to the men that He loved, the men that believed in Him, and coming and saying, sit down and have breakfast with Me. I love you. I want to provide for you. I want to be near you. He is the one who shows up, who finds us in our daily routine, and bids us come And eat with me. Fellowship with me. Know me. Jesus left the glories of heaven out of love for us. 
He received the beatings. He carried the cross and was nailed to it. He bore the very wrath of His Father so that He might say to us, come and eat with Me. In the great marriage feast of the Lamb, you say, come and eat with Me. It's a, it's a dinner we don't deserve. Peter certainly didn't deserve breakfast with his Lord, but the invitation came. Let us be people that long, long to eat with our Lord. Long to know that closeness and that fellowship with the Lord. I'm going to ask you to please stand as our musicians come. Maybe you're here and, and you've never responded to that invitation to, to feast with the Lord. You don't believe. You haven't trusted Him for His salvation. You haven't believed on the cross and the resurrection. I invite you this morning to be with the One who loves you. Who desires fellowship with you. And Christian, maybe through the examples that we see of, of the Lord and, and Peter, maybe there's a relationship that's strained that you need to become enthusiastic about repairing. Especially during this holiday season. However God has spoken to you through the application of this wonderful story, respond. Respond how God has spoken, His, His Spirit has spoken to you. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, God, we thank You your son's resurrection and his longing to be near us his longing to provide for us God help us to, to live in that joy and that provision every day God especially this time of year God may it be near and dear to our hearts and every day of the year the great fellowship you long to have with your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.